Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Want natural, healthy looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for jumbo and super jumbo hot rollers now. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manu Vef and we have a bunch of interesting topics to discuss today. But first, let's start with the result from this week's Premier League. Arsenal Tula, ha, looking much better for them, beating Anshi 2-0, Ural Orenburg 2-1. I know one man was going to be happy about this result. Krilya Sovetov against Ahmad 1-2. Rostov, Dinamo Moscow, yeah, boring 0-0 draw in that one. Ufa, Spartak, 2-0. Yeah, I know someone who's going to be very unhappy about this. <laughs> Krasnodar, Yenisai, 3-0. Ruben Loco, 0-0. CSKA, 2-0 against Zenit. Ooh, are we going to have a title race? Yeah, some interesting topics. All those results to discuss. Spartak have a new head coach. Ufa going to be busy in the transfer window. CSKA against Zenit, um, this cap, the derby of the capitals. We have to also discuss the football grad derby, Germany against Russia. Brazilian to play, another Brazilian to play for Russia, Ari, we're going to chat about him. And then Gabulov ending his career. Whew. Lots of fun things to discuss and helping me to discuss those things today is Tim. Tim, how are you doing? Good morning, Mano. I'm doing great. Um, yeah, we have a new coach. There's lots of talk about and let, let's do it yeah let's let's do do it um because i mean we first have to start with this result um it's another bad one uh, i i wrote the the article on spartak hiring a new coach for footballgrad.com and um i know rauri anschum we discussed this a little bit um last week right he really wanted to hang on to the coaching position but one draw and three defeats. A bit better in Europa League. One draw and a win, right, Tim? But really not enough to convince anyone that he would be the the obvious choice to to replace Massimo Carrera. No, the results didn't really help him, and uh, his pretty much his behavior outside the football field also was um, very questionable. He was very very emotional, and he was so obvious that he. Uh, wanted to stay the head coach. I, I think he was a little bit overplayed that he was, um, he was so passionate on the sideline. He was giving all those big interviews, saying some really big things, and it didn't really felt um, very authentic. Um, so the fans didn't really 
buy anything. And uh, in addition to the results, um, no one really was really had a hope that he will actually stay because because there was really no reason. I don't think he is the right man for the job. He was saying really strange things, which sounded uh, very very big and very pompousness, but. Um, so he, he, he is gone and now, now that's the new chapter and Alek Kononov, uh, as we spoke on this podcast a few times already and mentioned that he was pretty much the number one, uh, favorite to get the job. He was announced officially as a head coach and now Alek Kononov is the new coach of Spartak Moscow. Yeah, um, it's an, Alek Kononov is an interesting man, um, Tim. I did, did write his article, um, as I said, and, um, sort of, this is, this is quite fascinating. I didn't know that I was actually come across him before. And this is, this is a long time ago. So I, I guess that those things happen. But, um, when I was living in Ukraine, Oli Kononov was the head coach of FK Sevastopol, mm-hmm. you know, back in the time when, um, Sevastopol was one of the big up and coming football projects in, in Ukrainian football. They were very heavily financed. You know, this was a time when, when Ukrainian football was very different than this today. And, um, he was hired as the, the general director and head coach, um, of FK Sevastopol. And, um, they had a lot of money to spend. They got relegated the year before he got hired from the Ukrainian Premier League to the second division. Uh, and then he sort of rebuilt the, the squad there and they played some of the best football in the entire country. I mean, they played such good football that they showed those games, the second division games on television and, um, you, it was actually very enjoyable to watch. Um, and that's really where he ma- made his first big mark. Um, and that, that the kind of football that you would then see when he went to Krasnodar, right? Where he, the, we, we, I mean, Sevastopol and Krasnodar geographically, they're not that far separate. When you, when you look at mm-hmm. the map, you know, it's at Southern Russia, um, Crimea, um, not that big of a distance. And, um, so when I wrote this article, I said, okay, well, like, you know, now I remember sort of the, the kind of football that he was playing. It was fast. It was very, very technical, um, big emphasis on tactical approach. Very different than the typical Russian football that you see from many other coaches. And then he sort of mm-hmm. took that to Krasnodar, right? And I mean, at Krasnodar, at the time, this was, um, when he, so this was in 2014, uh, when, um, Galinsky started really building an, on his project, right? And, um, he identified him as the coach that could bring for, for, uh, forward that project. And it's, he did very good work at Krasnodar, did he not? Yeah, he was he was successful in Krasnodar, and especially maybe not in terms of the results, because in terms of the results, he only uh, got uh, the uh, got them to Europa League. But in terms of just the football, uh, he play, his team plays, and uh, that was um, that was announced by the Spartak management. That was the reason why they went for him, because they there's you know. There's a Spartak way, uh, the Spartak style of play, which is uh, very technical, uh, very possession-based, uh, kind of slightly reminds of uh, what uh, Barcelona is known for, for the, like a very, you know, very heavy on possession football. And uh, he plays that uh, style of, of football, and they they said that that was the reason why they picked him, 
Um, he, Kononov, when he already, by, after he was announced, he already did a lot of right things. He said that he was Spartak fan from, from, from the childhood. He requested, um, and he met with Alek Romantsev, who is the legendary Spartak coach who won many, many trophies. Um, and he's saying all the right things and, uh, general, like, you know, the, the, he's, the, the atmosphere around him is, is, is positive because, like I said, he's saying all the right things and the style of football which he plays fits, uh, what Spartak fans and Spartak management is looking for. Um, I'm, you know, I'll be supportive obviously because he's our new coach, but it's still, I'm still slightly concerned because it doesn't seem like that he was the number one choice after Massimo Carrera was gone. And also there's no, um, there's no, he doesn't have a good trophy record. Um, even like we said, he, he brought Krasnodar to Europa League and then he, um, he helped Svisivastopol to win that, uh, first division. Uh, that's a little bit not enough uh, for Spartak Moscow fans, and to be quite honest, he never was in charge of uh, such a big club. Um, when he was in charge of Krasnodar, it was still, and Krasnodar is still a growing project. Uh, so he doesn't really have a, tra- a trophy record, and this is what you need in, in Spartak. So, mm-hmm. um, so that that's a little bit of concern, but it's his big chance. A big chance of his career, and who knows? Maybe if he, hopefully he'll grabs it, and he has the pretty good ch- chances in in the Russian Cup. You know, so if he if he, for example, wins uh, the Russian Cup and gets Spartak to Europa League or even Champions League, that's definitely is going to be a success. So I think um, it is it is a fairly short term contract, and I think um, the the season is given for him really to prove. That he can earn and he can, you know, stay uh, for the club uh, at the club for the longer period of time. Uh, I'm I'm still thinking that uh, Leonid Fidom is somewhere hoping and waiting to get Stanislav Cherchesov as Spartak mm-hmm. coach eventually. But Stanislav Cherchesov is doing well. I don't think he will. There's no chance that he will lose his job until Euro 2020. So I think maybe that that's kind of what Fidom is thinking. Let's try with Kononov, uh, maybe for a year, maybe f- if he does well for another season, and then we'll see what happens with uh, Stanislav Cherchesov, depending on how Russia will do at Euro 2020. But for now, Oleg Kononov is the, is the new coach. Like I said, of course, I will be supporting him, but, um, it's still there's a few question marks and not because, nothing because of, nothing negative about Oleg Kononov. He just didn't, doesn't have, um, a lot of uh, experience of working with a big club. So good luck to him, and we will be watching and discussing it here on Football Grad. Yeah, no, um, maybe just to add, so at the at Krasnodar, he was in charge of 131 games, Tim. Um, a point average of 1.88. Um, you mentioned the trophy cabinet. It's very empty. There's one Ukrainian second division title, and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's hmm, not a lot. And then uh, at Tarek, they were still called Tarek at the time. He mm-hmm. averaged 1.13 points in the 16 games he was in charge. And then at Arsenal, Tula, his point average. And this, this is something that I was kind of like, mm, you know, he, he took the position this summer, right? And then after just 16 matches in charge, he basically left the club um, for Spartak. I get that Spartak is a big club, but it doesn't really speak for loyalty, right? If you if you leave a club that quickly. Um, but his point average of 1.44... Um, you know, that's, I guess that's all right with a club like Tula, but you just wonder when you look at all of these things and when you look at his preferred uh, formation, 
do you think it's going to his playing style is going to work at Spartak? I mean, we we discussed this a few times now. This that the fact that or the the most creative player that there was in the squad was basically sold on the eve of the transfer window, and with Quincy Promise, right? And um, he likes to play four three three. He likes to play four four two. Um, do you see Spartak have the players for for this formation to work for him? Oh, we do have some players, like you absolutely right. That uh, with promise being gum, gum Spartak lost a lot in terms of just the attacking potential. But we still have a few players who can play that type of football. Um, mostly mean uh, Roman Yeremenko, uh, Luis Adriano, Hani. So those players could, 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 who could play this uh, technical uh, game, and uh, there is potential. But uh, I still think that uh, you know it's, it's after the the after promise was gone and wasn't really replaced by anyone. Mm. Uh, still, Spartak lost a lot, and um, our attacking potential is not as good as when uh, when we were uh, when we won the league and the year after. Uh, Promise is a big, big, big player, and uh, he created so many uh, points uh, just from his goals and assists. And um, losing it, like losing him, it just really decreases uh, the attacking potential. So, I think my answer to your question will be: he has some players, but I don't think it has enough to to win the league. For example, this season. Well, the thing is. Um... Biancho played four three three against Ufa, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that one didn't work out so well. It was a two nil <laughs> defeat. Um, another defeat. I think it's it's interesting that in that one he dropped a lot of the the younger players that uh, made such headlines lately, right? He's a, he's he tried a lot of different things, um, moving pieces around, and it just didn't didn't quite really work for him. Um, so I, I almost wonder that I, I look at the side and the, the squad and uh, I mean, yes, Kononov now has two weeks to more or less settle it, right? But um, is it really just getting into the winter break now to just sort of get into the winter break and then try to get in some players that, you know, there is money, I guess, from the prom, promised transfer just to use that a little bit and just like bring in a couple pieces. You know that's that's an interesting question because he was asked that question at the press conference and he decided not to answer. He said, "I think it's a little bit too early, and uh, we'll deal with transfer window when we'll get there." He says, first of all, I need to figure out the players I have." So he said all the all the normal things, but he didn't really say uh, how he sees him. You know, if he's the part of a, uh, of the of transfer campaign, does he make decision? He was obviously surrounded by the people who are involved in the in the transfers, uh, Sergei Radionov and Neil Ismailov. So maybe he didn't really uh, want to speak about that openly. Uh, but yes, Spartak, Spartak has players. Uh, you know, we don't have like the shortage of players. We have pretty good amount of, of players. But I think there's a few players who don't really are at the quality as of right now. And uh, I'm curious who, who might come in because, uh, for example, one of the best players of Arsenal Tula, who were the coach was, uh, where Konov was the coach, uh, was Bakayev, who is on loan from Spartak Moscow. So we expect that Bakayev will probably return from that loan and he will be uh, a part of that. But we already have players like Bakayev because we have players like, uh, 
Ashayev, Samedov, uh, Lomavitsky. So um, I'm I'm almost so curious. I don't have the answer for you for you right now in terms of the which transfers and how the transfers will be done, but I'm also very, very curious because, to be quite honest, I think there's quite a few players who, you know, below that level of what uh, Spartak should be in terms of just, you know, winning the league and fighting for Champions League. There's a few players who are below that level, and I'm curious, but at the same time, they're on contract, so I'm not sure how, how the club will deal with that. So it's it's a little bit, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strategic question, and uh, also by... Seeing how many transfers um, Ali Konanov will get and how how much support and money he will get, we'll kind of see how much support he actually gets from uh, from Fidun and from uh, Spartak's management. Like I said, he wasn't the option number one, and um, I think the transfer um, window will give us some hints actually how much support he has uh, from the management. Yeah, the X factor is always Fidun. Um. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah. It doesn't matter what we talk or what they talk in the press conference. Fidu makes all the decisions. So, yeah. so, yeah. He keeps the money. They're up next against um, Grilya Sovetov. Tim, um, it's it's a tight-looking league. Um, you know, from from the very top. I mean, Zenit, of course, five points away from Krasnodar. As I said, they've lost this week, and we'll get to talk about that match in a moment. But um, twenty-six points. From second place to um, 19 points, to, which is 10th place, Krasny, there's only 7 points between those. Spartak is smacked right in the middle of that in, um, in ninth place. It's, um, it's a tight, it's a tight league. I mean, you know, one win and you, you jump back into that upper pack. And I guess that's really what it comes down to, right? That first game is going to be absolutely crucial for him against Kirill Sovetov. Yes, he's he also lucked out that he doesn't have too many um, uh, big games until the end of the season. Um, he, you know, in terms of schedule, he's he he is lucky because really, like yeah, we're playing Kirilly Savietov and um, and then we're playing like uh, Anji, we're playing Rapid Vienna. So mm. it's 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 not it's 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 there's a few games that. You know that uh, are easier. Of course, there's a game against Lokomotiv as well, but uh, it's it's not that it's not that bad uh, for Alekonov to to start with. And um, like you said, a couple of wins brings you back to that Europa League, Champions League pack. So nothing is lost, obviously. And I think that he's in a position. He's not picking up a team who is fighting relegation. He's still picking up a team which is a few wins away from uh, from Europe. And uh, with this league, like you said, being super tight, it's absolutely doable. So he has he has absolutely very, very good chances and it's all pretty much depends on him, um, his coaching staff and, and the players. So it's it's still, it's still a pretty optimistic situation uh, he walks in. So we'll see. And I agree with you that game against Krilly Sovetov, it's a game at home. Everything is given. He will have two weeks to, to work with the team. Yeah. Um, I think he, he, he needs to get the result in that game. That result is crucial. Um, and then you have a game again at home in Europa League against Rapid Vienna. And again, this is also a game crucial for Spartak, um, for the Europa League, uh, for the progression to the next round. So, but again, both, both games are winnable. We're not playing against Barcelona and Real Madrid, um, so it's it's his time to show what he's made of. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think you you definitely bang on. And um, 
it's, I think uh, the, the timing, as bad as the timing was of firing Massimo Carrera, the timing of bringing Kononov is, is probably ideal. Because that two week international break mm-hmm. is, is, I think that it's a, when you have, when you look at the, the, the windows of opportunities to fire coaches, mm-hmm. uh, during a season, you want to either do it, um, doing one of those two international breaks or the, the winter break, right? Because then you have, yeah, you actually give the coaching staff some time. I mean, winter break is better because all the players are actually around. The international break, a bunch of players are on international duty. So, um, I guess, but it gives the coach some time to, to, um, to settle down, um, work with the players, take stock of the situation. Um, it's not like you, you have to hit the ground running. So yeah, I, I mean, it will be fascinating to watch that game, first game against Grilya Sovetov, day 14th in the league. Fighting against relegation will be absolutely crucial for them. Um, Tim, there's there's a bit of an interesting story developing though um, with another club, Ufa. Um, they they went public in, uh, in one of the local news station, Bash Inform, um, basically saying that they are looking to sell four players this transfer window. Um, they're saying two of them are gonna go abroad. Um, they're talking to Italian clubs. And then also the two of them, um, possibly to clubs in Russia. Hmm, is that something you guys are looking at? Oh, we, uh, why we, we, because we already, um, um, yeah, we already looked at, at a few of our players. They're in general known for, um, you know, the Jufa is, is, is an interesting club. It's a really well, uh, run club. And, um, they're obviously their biggest success was, uh, the sale of Zinchenko to Manchester City. Yeah. Um, we also looked at, uh, Spartak looked at the player called, uh, Dmitry Zhivagadov, who also was in consideration as, as a, as a right back. And in general, Ufa is, that's their style. They, they pick up lots of young players, they give their chances, and, um, then they sell, uh, those players off. Uh, we all know that Ivan Oblikov moved from, uh, from Ufa to Tseska. Uh, which, which is, again, another, another fairly big transfer for, for club as, as an offer. So, I'm, I'm not surprised about this. Uh, they didn't disclose who are those players. Um, me and you talked and we have a couple of such, uh, ideas who that might be, but it wasn't, uh, disclosed officially. But absolutely, I'm not surprised because this is of our style. They, they find young players, give them chances. Uh, and uh, then sell them off. So I think I really like this model of, of the clubs. I like those clubs who are developing players. And Ufa is probably in Russia. That's like the best example of the club who actually does that. And um, good for them. Hopefully it's going to be good good business. And especially Russian players in, in Italy. Uh, we don't have too many there. So mm. hopefully it's something interesting. I, I think it's going to be the Kazakh Messi. Kebulan Zedahmet. He's going to be the one, um, you know, we all, everyone in the world has like posters of him hanging already in the room. You know, um, jokes aside, I did, t- I did take a little bit of a look and, um, a couple of players that stuck out and the one that stuck out the most to me is, uh, Sly, um, a player mm-hmm. that is often, he's, he's a winger, but he's often used in, in an attacking, in an attacking position by head coach, uh, Dmitry Kirichenko. And, um, he leads the league in, in dribblings, successful dribblings, Tim. Um, yeah, he, he also, he, he's been, you know, one of the, on the club leaders uh, for the past couple of years. So he also, they also, when they played 
in Europa League. Um, you know what's, what's funny? I was watching the game against um, Spartak last week, and they had two players. You know, we you know we both know that Ufa, uh, they made their big debut in Europa League this season. Yeah. They played against a team from uh, Slovenia or Slovakia, I don't remember. And then the other team they played against Luxembourg. Yeah. So in both games, they picked up players from, from these clubs. They bought uh, Lovro Bizek, who is the striker, and they also uh, bought a player from um, from Luxembourg, uh, T. Olivier Thiel. Yeah. I found it very funny that you go to Europa for the first time in your history, you play at some club, you like the player, and you invite them to play for them. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this is pretty interesting strategy. Good way to scout, I guess. Uh, <laughs> 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 the, the the story behind Ufa is that they only qualified for Europe because it'd be cheaper to scout that way. Um, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, all the tickets are paid for. We play with this team. Okay, let's, let's actually buy their players. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Oliver Thiel though is is an interesting player for them. Um, I'm glad you brought him up because I was going to he he played for for Progress. Um, Progress, by the way. Um, I, I think I've said this before. They probably have the most Soviet name of any non-Soviet clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any club called FC Progress. Um, yeah, it's an incredible story. But yeah, they picked up Oliver Thiel. Um, a lot of people might know Thiel, the Thiel family. They have a bunch of brothers and, um, I think, I guess everyone in Luxembourg is sort of related to one another. It's not a very big country. Um, but one of the Thiel brothers is, is considered one of those super talents, right? Um, so it's not Olivier Thiel. He's not one of those super talents, but he has done very well in this league and, um, plays a lot of first team minutes. I guess it is not common that someone from Luxembourg goes to Russia, um, as a yeah. career path, but it's, it's playing, you know, professional football rather than playing semi-professionally in, in Luxembourg. So, um, good for him. As for Bisiak, yeah, an interesting player as well. Um, he played for Dom Jale and they signed him, um, basically after they kicked out Dom Jale from the, from the Europa League. Uh, Dom Jale, of course, last year, the year before, they were famous for kicking out, um, Freiburg, a German side, um, cool. in the Europa League. Yeah. So not, not a, not a bad side. Now, what I thought was interesting though in the story, and we get this all the time with some of the smaller club, um, Ufa are run, of course, by the Republic of Bashkortostan, right? It's uh, another state-run entity. We discussed like, we discussed how state-run entities work in Russian football last week with the whole um, football league story. Um, the 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 fact that Ufa are one of those clubs that are directly owned by a republic, and we already said, yeah, look, the, one of the ways that they survive is by selling their best players. That's that's a business strategy. It's a, they they are one of those clubs that actually have a business strategy. Um, they are a very well-run club, even though they're kind of struggling a little bit this season. They're currently 14th, which means they're on a relegation spot. Um, but Tim, a couple things with them. I mean, Bashkortostan is very rich in oil and gas, right? It's one of the richer republics mm -hmm. in the Russian Federation. Um, yet there is still a very strong dependence by Ufa on the state and one of the things that they were saying we need a new stadium um we need a stadium so that we can stay competitive and i think that's probably the number one thing for them isn't it not yeah and also developing and developing the fan base because they have a very successful they have a successful hockey club in the city yeah 
uh, Salawat Yulaif, and um, uh, definitely the the attention on in the in the city is more on Salawat Yulaif because that's a um, well run, well <clears throat> a very long run club in 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 Ufan. Uh, so the, the football club is a fairly new um, uh, entity and a very new organization, so they don't have as many fans, so they need to develop as fans. And they feel like building a convenient stadium because the one they play is like one of those old school, um, not very pretty looking stadiums, um, is the way to attract uh, more fans because as we saw all over the Russia, the results of the World Cup when all those convenient stadiums, they, they increase the, the popularity and the attendance. Um, but the Ufa, yeah, they, they, are very, they are from the wealthy um, region, uh, but they also not only do that, they also have obviously the the very good um, football strategy in terms of, like we said, finding young players and selling them. Uh, it, it is an interesting club to look. Um, I'm not really surprised that they are on the 14th place because for such a small club, uh, playing uh, Europa League and starting the season too early and having those extra games, I think that was a little bit too much. But I believe in them because, uh, like I said, the club is well run. I think um, maybe it will be still tough for them, but I'm pretty uh, confident that they will stay in the league, maybe for the relegation uh, playoffs, so maybe they will stay normally. But um, that that's that's one of the interesting clubs, and what's that's one of the new clubs which is exciting in Russia, and especially if they will build a new stadium and increase the attendance, that will be an interesting club to to follow. But for now, they just have first first things first. They need to uh, get a little bit more points and get out of the relegation zone. Yeah, they were founded in two thousand nine. Um, yeah, new club. Yeah, very new club. Um, and as you said, a very well-run club. I, I think they will be okay. Um, yeah. as well. Uh, I, I think it just, this doesn't seem to be, they don't seem to be as, as trigger happy, um, as some of the other clubs in terms of, you know, um, the way things are done, um, seems to be a bit more settled. And, um, they're very good at identifying young up and coming players. And then there's also the always what I always say. There's a season before the winter and a season after the winter. So we'll see what they do during the winter. Um, mm-hmm. trying to restructure this team. So yeah. Um, fascinating, fascinating story. I think if you, if you're interested in, um, checking out one of those clubs that are not part of those big ones, right? Uh, if you want to mm-hmm. check out one of these other models in Russian football. Ufa are definitely it. Um, don't underestimate the size. <laughs> I just looked it up. The size of Ufa. It's actually a very big city. Um, it's always amazing how many big cities there are in Russia. And this is a city of a million people. And, um, you know, as I said, Bashkortostan is a very rich republic. So, um, there's a lot of potential there. Um, interesting too. I, I saw a start before we now move to the next topic. Um, there has been a 29% increase in attendance this season. Um, from last season. So the World Cup impact, and I can see why other clubs want to, um, jump in on that, right? Say like, look, the, the football, football is booming in this country. Now it would be a good time to maybe like give them a good stadium that people, that people will keep coming to these games because they give uh, first division teams need good facilities. So I, I can see, see them really, um, benefiting from that World Cup push. Um, Tim, World Cup push. Um, how I'm gonna make this transition? Welcome, <laughs> push to the city, the the, the derby of the capitals. <laughs> so, 
you know, two, two cities that also massively benefited from the World Cup, of course, Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, I call this the, the, the derby of the capitals because since, since Spartak's, um, championship in 2001, Zenit and CSKA were the two teams that dominated this league. Um, of course, CSKA a little bit in a rebuild at the moment, right? Um, Zenit won four titles. I believe CSKA won seven since that, in that time period. So, you know, the most two, those dominant teams in Russian football over the last 15 years or so. They were playing against each other. Um, and I was very surprised by this result. Um, because when I did the preview for this, CSKA haven't won a game um, since 2014 against Zenit. So a long, long period without a win uh, for CSKA in the league. And um, they did it. They won 2-0. And considering where Goncharenko is, I mean, this this team, this, this, this CSKA side can be so up and down. You know, a good result is followed by a couple of bad results. And that's that's typical for a rebuilding side. But this this is a massive shock, is it not? It is, it is an interesting result, especially if you just look at, at the table and you don't uh, follow the current form of the clubs. But um, Zenit has has had some issues um, on the field and really, uh, like I've been saying, I've, been, I've said it on numerous yeah. times, that it, it will be impossible for Zuba to maintain uh, the this level of form which he had in, in the past uh, season. And... Uh, you know, the, a bit of a questions about um, the way Zenit, Zenit plays and uh, what they do actually on the field because they have a very good squad. Uh, they bought Marquisio, they still have Paredes, so the quality on the field is amazing. But at the same time, it, Zenit is not really dominating the games and uh, that kind of leaves a few questions about uh, their new coach, Sergei Simak, who is a young coach. Sergei Simak is respected and loved by everyone in Russia. He's one of mm. those players that... Even, you know, he never, he always played for clubs like, uh, Tseska and Zenit, and he still gets respect from Spartak fans because he, he's a true gentleman and everyone respects him. But still, you know, like being a nice person doesn't mean that you're um, a wonderful coach. And so far, so far, he didn't really prove and he didn't, doesn't really show that he is, uh, bringing Zenit, Zenit forward. Obviously, they're in the first position. Uh, in the league with a five-point gap, but it looks like it's not happening because the, tra- the coach is doing something marvelous job. It's because the the quality of players, um, the style of play is really you can really it's, it's hard to just dis- to, to describe it as um, you know as as a, as a beautiful game. Uh, at the same time, on the other hand, Tsuka, as we said, is a developing club with lots of young players. That's why there's an inconsistency in the results because a yeah. uh, new team like young players, but I think Sky is building something big. Yeah. That uh, that transfer window was so successful for them, uh, selling Galavin and um, uh, the Brazilian striker Vitinho. Uh, they made very good money and they invested so smartly. They be- they bought good Russian players, uh, young players. They bought good European players, which will be progressing. I think Sky did another time another fantastic job, and um, this result is. Uh, Surprise only on paper, uh, but they, with what has been happening recently in the clubs, uh, this is interesting, and um, I'm I'm really interested in uh, what this guy will happen to this team in a couple of years because once those players get some experience, 
uh, and Gonchirenko is known for being a very, very successful coach to working with young players. Uh, this this, guy, this team is building something big, and uh, this will be very interesting to watch them, how they develop. Yes, uh, Sigurdsson scored again um, in this one. He also scored against Roma. I thought that they actually played really well against Roma as well, Tim. It's just that mm -hmm. the, in, the, in the Champions League, right? And that um, maybe, I mean, yes, the goal that the, 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 the winny, winner from Pellegrini, um, it was offside, right? But, I mean, you need, we don't have VAR in, in the Champions League, so how are they going to spot that? I mean, if you look at it in real time, it was impossible to spot the fact that the, the ball ricocheted off Checo uh, right on the way in, uh, making Pellegrini go offside. Because when you see it in real time, there's no way you can see it. But I actually thought they played really well in that game. Um, that, uh, especially the young players, yes, Mark Lawson, uh, was sent off, but, um, ultimately the, the likes of Lazic, Sigurdsson was impressive for me. Um, he scored his first senior goal in that game against Roma. He now scored his second one in the, in the, this game. He's only 19 year old. I mean, for a 19 year old, um, Icelandic player to, to make that move to Russia, um, to develop. Um, I guess it helps that they have also signed Magnussen, so there's two of them in the same club, right? But I think that Goncharenko, and you're quite right, because it was not an easy break mm -hmm. that they did there. They're bringing in all these young players, making the most experienced squad in the league, turn them into pretty much the, the youngest. And um, it's it's a fascinating, it's just really fascinating to watch this entire process. Mm -hmm. Of how, how this club is, is developing. Uh, I also want to point out Nikola Vlasic, um, for, yeah. for people, you know, you know, we have, we have people from, um, England listening in. Um, I know CSKA really are trying to keep a hold of him, but it's the way he's been playing. It's going to be very hard to convince Everton, um, to keep him in, in Russia. Is it not? Yeah, it depends, depends what kind of, you know, what, what Everton, what kind of plans they want and how much money they will ask. Uh, from him, but obviously he is, posh. he is definitely a, 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 another great signing, um, or like a loan deal uh, for this guy. He has been the, one of the best players of, of, in the league and now um, the best players and uh, the best player in CSKA. Uh, so it's, it's really like how many new players they brought in and everyone, everyone contributed a little bit in different capacities for, for the success. You just named this Icelandic, uh, uh new young players. Yeah, he, he just started doing, started playing. And, uh, obviously, you know, Magnusson also became one of the, one of the key players. Uh, Bio played, um, uh, Fyodor Chalov, who has been called, uh, to the national team is yeah. also having a fantastic season and now the, the top, um, goal scorer in, in the league. So it's, it's, it's fascinating where, where they find all those players. Like yeah. they, they, they take those players for some really small clubs and, uh, bring them and those players that perform in Champions League. Like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, it's really good scouting, I guess. Um, final one on CSKA. You mentioned a national team. Another player who was called up, um, and is not going to play is Ilzad Ahmetov. Mm -hmm. Fantastic season for him, but, um, what looks like a very complicated shoulder injury, Tim. Yeah, he's, he's, he's out, uh, again, he's another, another player yeah. who has been interested. And again, another example how a young player who never played for, for national team before, uh, kind of like Chalov has been called up this season. And, uh, you know, that shows that, uh, Tiska not only have a good scouting system outside, but also inside 
the Russian league, and they got Ablikov uh, from Ufa, they got uh, Akhmetov, uh, Chalov is uh, the product of their academy. So um, they're developing young players uh, in uh, and in scouting players in Russia and outside of Russia. That's just that's just phenomenal. So um, it's very exciting to watch, and um, for the neutral. For the neutrals, uh, I think that's the club to watch. And but it will be, I'm not saying that CSKA will dominate the league because we still have other clubs, yeah. but it's a very interesting club to, to, to watch the development. And uh, it will be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really, really. I mean, we, we have a couple articles up on them on, on footballgrad.com because I, I think they've been... Um, I, I, I'm personally a big fan of Goncharenko and the, the way he develops players. I think he's, he's one of the uh, most underrated coaches in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, because he, he works in Russia, he doesn't get the attention that he would otherwise get. He was before Nagelsmann became the youngest coach in the Champions League. Uh, Viktor Goncharenko was the youngest coach in the Champions League with, uh, Bartle Borisov, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I say this every time when I talk about, uh, Viktor Goncharenko. Viktor Goncharenko coached Barta Borisov when they beat Bayern in the Champions League winning campaign. Um, they were one of the few teams that actually managed to beat Bayern in that season. So um, he's an excellent coach and he really knows what he's doing. And uh, CSKA is so smart. Evgeny Ginner, the owner, is so smart to just let him do um, his job um, in a year that everyone knew would be difficult. And look, they might still finish in a Champions League spot um, regardless. So I think it's, it's just fantastic work that they're doing there. Um, and I, I, I think that's definitely going to be one of the clubs to watch. Um, Tim, we mentioned a bunch of the, the national team players, um, already. It's a big one for us. Uh, you and I, we're going to be playing against each other over yeah. our respective countries anyways. Um, a test match, uh, Germany against Russia at Leipzig. Um, Going into this game is a little bit of an interesting one because Germany, of course, uh, could be relegated the next day when uh, if the Netherlands um, beat beat France, uh, if they draw France and Germany have to beat them by a higher score than um, than they Germany lost to um, in their match against against the Netherlands in Amsterdam uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so that was a three nil defeat. So Germany could be pretty much relegated by Friday. And Russia is pretty much promoted. So, um, we're going opposite ways a little bit, um, <laughs> in this glorious competition that we call the UEFA Nations League. So, um, fascinating, um, in many respects, uh, that, <laughs> I mean, Chechesov has done such a good job evolutionizing this team. And I'm not using the word revolution. I'm using the word evolution because he's slowly mm-hmm. but surely feeding in new players into the squad. Um, keeping the squad fresh while, um, sort of also carrying the momentum from, from Russia 2018 hosting the tournament where Russia actually did quite well, better than anyone expected. Yeah. Yeah. He's still developing the team and he is, um, something that I didn't really realize right away, but he's really building the team on players who are currently in the form. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past uh, few months. It's really uh, right here, right now. And this is how he builds uh, his squad. He knows the league very well. He worked in the league and he does very good scouting. And he, all his choices on the player choices he makes, 
you can explain them, especially if you watch the a few recent um, games of this player. So this is this is what I like, and this is what he's became the kind of his style. And uh, right now in the team we have quite a few um, injured players. Uh, Zuba won't be playing. We already mentioned that um, Ahmedov won't be player. Glavin uh, is injured again. So there's quite a few players, and and um, um, Cherchesov uh, has called up quite a few um, newer players to the club. So obviously, you know, Ari, a Brazilian, who we'll talk about him a little bit later, he is the new debutant. Fyodor Chalov, who doesn't have uh, too much, like, actually no experience playing uh, playing for Russia. Um, so Zuba is out, obviously, so that, that really puts a little bit question mark who will be playing up front. Um, so it, it is it is challenging right now because there's there's many many injured players, but that gives um, opportunity for um, Cherchesov to call up the new players. That's why I'm a little bit um, worried about the game, uh, the last game of uh, Nations League against Sweden, because really we 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 cannot lose this game, and right now we have a little bit um, you know weakened side compared to to the world cup uh, so we will see what will happen uh, but i'm very also interested to talk to you about uh, the russia germany game yeah uh, it, it's that's going to be an interesting one because of course you mentioned um players being called up based on form <laughs> tim mm. and that's been a criticism that um that a lot of people in germany had with Löw that he's basically been calling up players on past form for too mm-hmm. long right uh-huh. When I wrote a preview for this one, um, which is up on uh, fußballstadt.com. And, um, the, the one thing that, of course, was a big issue ahead of the World Cup is that Germany sort of strolled into this World Cup thinking, okay, well, past performances will be enough. And, um, they, they messed up a lot of the friendly matches going into the tournament and they never really got never really got into uh, third or fourth gear. They, they just, just got stuck and were in cruise control and then cruised out um, of the tournament. And um, after the World Cup, there was all these promises made of a rebuild with this Germany side and it never really materialized in a way because um, except for Sami Khedira, um, Joachim Löw hung on to many of the players that had big roles at the World Cup. And, um, a lot of the younger players, players in particular that did very well at the Confederations Cup the year before, you know, the tournament that Germany did end up winning with, a, with basically, um, a very young experimental side, sort of were looking in from the outside. And it's really interesting that, you know, Löw didn't go with, with form so much, um, but rather with past experiences. <laughs> um, crushingly failed with it after the World Cup. I mean, there was that 0-0 draw against France, a game that I think Germany should have won um, based on on the performance on the pitch. But then came that crushing 3-0 defeat to the Netherlands. And um, then a game that I actually thought Germany played very well at with a very young experimental side. And they lost 2-1 in France, a little bit of an unlucky defeat um, because they were, I think that was another match where they were pretty much even. But it's like, it's like it seems like it... Löw almost needed to face, to look down the barrel of the gun of relegation to finally bring in the changes that were needed for this team. Because when you, when, when you look at the side now, there's a lot more younger players coming in. There's a couple players that I think are still missing. There's a couple players that I think should not be in there based on form, like Mats Hummels, for example, Thomas Müller, um, 
those are players that have not performed very well um, since the World Cup. I'm also questioning the the selection of Jonas Hector, a player who decided to go into to go down to the second division um, with Köln, which is of course loyalty. That's fantastic, great. Um, but at the same time, if you want to play for Germany, you should be playing in Bundesliga too. So those are things that. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. I've noticed, and I, I, I'm really curious. Like, well, what are your expectations for this match, Tim? I know Chechevov said he will, he will make six, the six changes will be allowed, and he said he will will do all six of them. So, um, my guess ahead of this match was, um, the first 60 minutes are going to be pretty intense, and then they're going to both um, rotate quite a bit. Yeah, it looks like because we have this uh, big game against uh, Sweden coming up r- right after that. So, mm, yeah, I don't think he will play like yeah, he will use he will use a bit of rotation for that. Uh, obviously, you know, again looking at the squad, the, the Germany has uh, better quality players, but uh, like you said, like there's quite a few players, like some Bayern players, are not having the best time right now. Um, it's it's I'm I'm curious, like because. To me, what he is doing, uh, Joachim Löw, is kind of the blend what me and you talked um, after and before the World Cup, uh, blend between that uh, Confederations Cup team and the team which actually played at the Euro 2018. So yeah, there's still some players who have been around forever, like yeah. all the Bayern players, and there's a few um, new ones. Uh, I think the question is who actually will end up on the field. Uh, is it going to be just the experienced players? Is it going to be just the young ones? Or is it going to be the blend? And, um, um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's weird that he has quite a few players who I'm not sure are, are they based on form or are they based on, on, on their experience? Uh, but to be quite honest, yeah, like uh, just thinking of how many, uh, Russia has issues of injuries and they're definitely not our, um, not our, <clears throat> uh, best. Uh, potential squad, so I still th- see Germany as uh, favorite for this game. But for us, I think at this point, this game for Germany just the experience for some of the younger and less experienced players to get uh, that game uh, against the uh, one of the best players and one of the best teams in the world. And uh, the focus will still be, will be the game against uh, Sweden, just to make sure that we qualify and win the our group in the Nations League. Yeah, I think it's very much the same for Germany. I mean, it's not Germany's hands anymore, as I said. Um, yeah. They have to sort of wait and see. France and the Netherlands are playing on Friday. Um, Germany is going basically into this friendly, not knowing whether or not their game on uh, Tuesday against mm-hmm. the Netherlands will actually matter. And that's a weird, mm-hmm. that's a weird situation to be in, I guess. Um, I personally think that France will win that game against the Netherlands and give Germany the chance to play a final, but who knows? Um, but yeah, you, you're quite right. There's a lot of Bayern players that are not in form. I mean, we, we talked on Gegenpressing just about the Klassiker between Dortmund and Bayern, a game that Bayern lost. Bayern are now seven points behind Dortmund in the standings and they're only fifth in the league. And 
I think the big problem for Germany was, um, I think all individually, like Müller, Hummels, uh, Boateng, um, a lot of those big stars that play for Bayern, all individually, you know, if it was only one of them that had a little bit of a, of a form problem, that's okay because you can compensate that in a tournament, right? You can compensate mm-hmm. that in a tournament and a tournament sometimes an individual player then regains its form. I mean, Miroslav Klose was famous for that, that he would come into a tournament not on the best form and then just find that groove. And, um, but I think if you then, if it's not just one or two and all of a sudden it's five or six that come into a tournament at bad form, uh, that's just too much, right? Each one individually, I think they still have a tournament in them. Um, but I think collectively, uh, they don't. And <laughs> that's, that's why you need to feed in young players. And he just, he just, as he said, he just didn't, he didn't do that. And now he's trying to make this blend. And, um, it's, it's going to be interesting. I personally think, you know, they have now an average age. The squad age is 25.7. Um, Against Russia, there will be no Hummels. There will be no Marco Reus because they're being rested. There will be no Tony Gross. Um, he's, he's not joining the team until after the, the, the Russia game. So the, the squad will be very young against Russia. And I think that's okay. Um, I think that's going to be okay because uh, I think a lot of people, I think Germans will be okay if this team doesn't do so well as long as they see like, okay, he's finally feeding in the young players. So I'm not sure. Um, I think for both sides, this is going to be quite interesting. We're going to see a, a lot of experiments. Um, we're going to see a lot of different players that on both sides that we haven't really covered too much. Uh, one of whom is that Brazilian kid, Ari. Um, I did an article on him yesterday, Tim, and he is a fascinating player because he actually started applying for Russian citizenship um, all the way back in 2014 when he married his Russian wife. Um, but since then, um, his career was sort of a little bit up and down, right? Yeah, he 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 went on loan uh, to Lokomotiv, and he, he now he's back at Krasnodar. Once uh, Fedor Smolov left the club, he is now one of the main strikers, and he has been uh, playing fairly well, and obviously called deservedly the call up to the to the national team. Um, there's a lot of talks uh, with like just the whole process of. Um, acquiring Brazilians to play for Russian national team because now we have three, Mario Fernandez, Guilherme, and now Ari. Uh, obviously, Mario Fernandez is injured and he won't be uh, part of this uh, specific uh, training camp. But uh, still, there's a conversation of uh, that um, in Russia, they call this process of naturalization, of giving the Russian passports to the uh, foreign players. And there's a big talk and uh, there's lots of... Um, a negative opinions of people who disagree and they think that you know only Russian-born players uh, should be playing for the national team. Some players players say uh, you know if if the player has lived uh, for a certain number of years and um, got the passport, um, that's that's fine. And that's actually Stanislav Chachesov's opinion. He said, "I didn't. Uh, we as a national team, where's the Russian Federation? We did nothing." To speed up the process for to get a, a passport to Ari or do something special, he just lived enough years in Russia. He he married a, a Russian woman. Um, he plays in Russia for a very very long time. He came in Spartak. Uh, what was it? Well, that was over five years ago. That was a very long time. Valery Karpin was still in charge, so he lived in Russia. He knows the culture, so he just pretty much it's similar to me and you stories. Like we 
we we we arrived to Canada. Uh, we lived long enough. We applied for the citizenship. We legally got it. So now legally we have the right to play for a Canadian national team. I'm not sure. I'm still waiting for that call up. But yeah, same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the opinion are quite divided. Um, I'm more because I'm obviously an, an immigrant. I'm more on the on this side of thing. If you have the passport, you you have the legal right to be called up. And Stanislav Chichesov, he was very clear. I didn't do anything to speed up the process or to make sure that Ari gets the passport sooner. He, as a normal uh, citizen of Russia, he 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 got the passport. He can play, and based on his form and based on the current injuries which we have. He is um, on the radar of players to be in called up, and I'm and I'm here to to use him. So, um, in, in definitely divided opinions, uh, but I think he Ari might have a chance to even play in one of those couple of games because uh, you know we have three strikers, uh, Zabalotny, who also not has been on a fantastic form, uh, Fedor Chelov, who is on fantastic form but who is very very young and doesn't have too much experience. And Ari, who is in good form and who has enough experience, and I won't be surprised if he plays some minutes, especially given, like you said, that uh, there will be they will be using six all um, six substitutes in the game against Germany. So interesting, uh, interesting story, and uh, good luck to Ari. I, I I like him, and I want him to succeed for the Russian national team. I'm okay with if you go the normal route. Yeah, uh, I'm okay with that. Um, as you said. I mean, Mario Fernandez is the same way and uh, Goliam. Um, all three of them have lived in Russia for a very long time. Um, to answer your question, Ari moved to Russia in 2010. He's been living in Russia for eight years now, right? And uh, he's married to a Russian woman. Um, he's obviously made um, Russia his home. So um, I think... I think that's okay. I mean, he's t- taking the Russian citizenship test. He passed. He got his Russian citizenship the normal legal way i mean i i'm against when countries just hand out passports it's like you know the qatar Qatar style here's your passport you can play for us there you go um russia are not doing that so um i'm a-okay with that all three brazilians went the naturalization route they worked very hard to get their russian citizenship and become naturalized and immigrated into the country and so yeah i mean that makes you eligible to play and if you're good enough to play then you should be called up um, and he has been this year he scored uh, six goals in eight games uh, three assists as well he scored a goal every 103 minutes in the russian premier league this year that's good enough i mean he's one of the informed strikers in the league so um yeah i i i can't see i mean chesov would be silly not to call him up um considering that he doesn't have tuba to his disposal um tim exactly. Before we go, we have to talk about uh, another Russian national team, a former Russian national team player, Vladimir Gabulov. He's retired. Um, a long stretching career. He's my age. Uh, I guess I'm retirement age now, Tim. That's that's, <laughs> uh, that's just the reality of it. Um, but yeah, he is retired. Um, played for Bruges. Um, rumors is that he's going to become the sport minister of Ossetia. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a good career move. But I mean, all in all, a, a very good keeper uh, who, on the eve of his career, um, pretty much still achieved everything he wanted to, didn't he? 
Yeah, Vladimir Gabulov, he, he played, you know, in, in Russian league uh, for a very, very long time. And he was the top goalkeeper and he played for um, top clubs in Russia. And then he also obviously played, uh, part was part of the um, uh, national team. And he went, uh, legendary went to the... To the uh, to the World Cup in Russia, he was there. Was a few questions about him because even we on the podcast discussed this because he went here because he was actually one of the best goalies, or because he was friend of Stanislav Cherchesov. Yeah. But uh, re- regardless of that, he played um, uh, in Dynamo Moscow. He played at CSKA. He obviously played in, in in European games. So he's the player who played at the top level in Russia for a long time. And in the end of career, he decided to take a risky move uh, to Bruges. Uh, it, it's hard really to evaluate how it went, but um, the player had a wonderful career, uh, played for national team, uh, went to to big tournaments, and definitely, you know, a player who represents a, a good good history and who had a very good career. Um, he has his connections to Assetia, so I'm not very surprised that he uh, becomes the minister of sport. But at the same time, I'm not sure what, what this position actually entails because Assetia is not a big region, and I'm, I'm interested to see what his actually job will be. But um, good for him, um, good career. So he continues um, his life um, somewhat related to sport. So good luck to him. He was he was an important player in in the past 15 years in Russia. Yeah, um, maybe, just maybe, uh, revitalize Alanya Vladikavkas. Uh. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the club which really needs, um, the champions of Russia, uh, of the past, the club which played in Europe, and now they are playing in the third tier of Russian football without any hope of, um, going back to those glorious years, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's, that's something that they will take a look at. But uh, unfortunately, right now, there's not really any hopes for, for that. No, not much. Well, Tim, we're out of time. Um, floor is yours. What have you been up to? Um, any music shows coming up? Yeah, I'm having a very incredible, incredibly busy, um, end of the year. Um, I'm doing a big Christmas show, a two-day show uh, on 14th and 15th in Vancouver. So if you are in Vancouver, check check that out. It's, it's called Christmas Rager. It will represent uh, 11 uh, local bands, which are my favorite releases of the year in Vancouver. Uh, so you can find a little bit more information on uh, my Instagram, which is Rocket from Russia, and on my Twitter, Russian Team 61. Yeah, definitely go check that out. Yeah, as always, I've been your host, Manuel Weff. You can find me on Twitter at Manuel Weff. Um, bit of a quieter week with the international break. We have a, um, a few of the, um, UEFA Nations League games. We have the Russia Germany game, all previewed on footballguard.com. Um, a couple longer, longer reads that are coming your way as well. So yeah, lots of things going on. Um, still at footballgrad despite the, the the, the international break so you can find all of that at football grad live that's it we're done until next week das wird dann ja
Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.